This is Matthews. Gains control. Trying to find some room. Oh, great work. He gets free. Shoots I'm not sure what the f- this is. I'm about to find out. This is Talk Can Audio. Off we go on an all new episode of the Talk Can Audio podcast. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, a great time with your families, and enduring uh, and some baseball shame. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll work our way through that together here as we go over the next little while. But. Uh, Happy to be welcoming back to the show uh, a guy who's done this for us a couple times over the last couple of years. We tee up the Leafs season. Uh, someone who is simultaneously a shameless homer for your favorite team, but also someone who is just a ruthless hater of whatever your favorite team is. The actually good Jeff Vayette has returned to the podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm fantastic. Thank you for the intro. I just want to make it clear the only team I'm a shameless homer for is the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, <laughs> no one else matters. Uh, that's fair. Uh, give uh, at not Thrashers a follow on Twitter if you're not already doing so, good folks. It's, uh, it's, it's a good run. Um, listen, man, it's been a, a little while since we talked. Before we dive in on the Leafs, which we're going to do, uh, there's a couple new things on your resume. What are you keeping your, uh, yourself busy with here? couple different things. Uh, firstly, uh, for on the public end, uh, I'm doing some work for a company called uh, Better Collective. We run a bunch of uh, uh, gaming, betting, etc. cetera, uh, platforms and um, doing, doing more like behind the scenes stuff there. But lately, uh, contributing on like the writing end again, too, which is nice. I kind of got away from that for a little bit and they really appreciate the work that uh I do, and we want to f- find a way to like not make it like all out hockey night in Canada, five thousand betting ads all over <laughs> the place ran down your throat. Yeah. But um, but still, like the give we give proper information. Maybe if there's something uh, you're interested in uh, related to the platform, you got that too. So I've been writing at Canada Sports Betting uh, .ca, which is one of our properties. Uh, the past. Uh, couple months and I plan on doing that throughout the year and then uh, on top of that over at the operations side uh, still continuing to kind of do the um, the junior hockey uh, analysis and grow myself as uh, someone who wants to kind of climb up that uh, front office kind of op- hockey operations style rank so I'm with uh, the Toronto Patriots of the Ontario Junior Hockey League uh, winners of four of our last five are heating up nice and um, the uh, North York Rangers under 18 uh, formerly um, labeled as uh, Midget Triple uh, A team. We just finished uh, our first tournament of the year. Didn't quite, uh, didn't quite go all the way with it, but a uh, very impressive uh, five and one start. Uh, so it's um, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, balancing out a couple of uh, different things, but uh, kind of sticking to my roots too. I'm excited to be writing a little bit more on the Canadian hockey scene again. We're going to talk about uh, the Leafs today, but I want to let the good listener know. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard of them. No, no, you're gonna, it's uh, (laughs) for the next six months, they'll be everywhere again. It will always be about the Leafs 
Uh, we should let the good listener know, as I'm based here in Ottawa, we have a lot of Ottawa guests, a lot of Ottawa listeners as well. Our Sens preview will drop on Thursday morning with Graham Nichols. The sixth Sens will be here. He's done this uh, the last couple of years as well to tee up that side of things as we try and keep everybody happy or equally unhappy, uh, however you want to view that for yourselves. Um, that that should be fun. And uh, Michaela Schreider returns on Friday. We will be recording a podcast from longtime friends of the show, of, uh, of of this tall can audio podcast, the Nita Beer Company. We're going to do a podcast <laughs> from over there, and uh, the owner of the brewery, Andy Nita, will join us. He's going to talk an awful lot about uh, this year's craft beer advent calendar. It's going to be 24 different craft beers from breweries all over the province. Uh, once again, Nita is putting that together, so we'll talk to him about that on uh, Friday morning. So get subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now, or just hit up tallcanaudio.com. Uh, Jeff, Before we dive in on what to expect out of this season, let's take a quick look back at the off season because, you know, sitting here in Ottawa, everyone is incredibly excited and rightfully so about the off season that the Ottawa Senators have had. And, um, you know, they've taken big swings. They've locked up big pieces. Um, they've brought in guys like Debrinkit and Giroux and the fan base is excited. And it's hard when you are, uh, you know, a fan of a, of a team like the Leafs who have been good for a while, but haven't had the results in the playoffs to back that up. You go into these off seasons sort of capped out and you already have all your big pieces locked in long-term or semi-long-term. I guess it's not as long as we'd like in some of these cases, but you don't take big swings like that anymore. It's more tinkering around the edges. It's trying to figure out what's going to work in your bottom six and fix your you know, the low end of your defense and uh, we'll get into what the goaltending is going to look like. How would you evaluate the off season that the Leafs had? Was there anything that really stood out to you in terms of things they did or didn't do? Or is this sort of what this was always going to look like? I mean, I'd probably lean mostly to sort of what this was going to look like. Just looking at uh, the skater group more than anything. Uh, the changes are they're they're so minute. Like we kind of had an idea um, that the guys do for raises, uh, most notably Ilya Mikheyev. Um, we're going to get those uh, somewhere else, and that's kind of what the Leafs build towards. They try to find those undervalued guys, get the most out of them for a little bit, and then when it's time for them to get paid their uh, their their fair value or possibly more, especially when you talk uh, <laughs> late twenties, early thirties. Um, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that age curve. You want to play. It's not an inefficiency if you're not getting a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so kind of looking in that next direction and trying to find the, those guys um, wasn't much of a surprise to see the kind of route they went. Um, Nick Abe Kubel, for example, um, saw him win a championship of Colorado this year. And he's kind of in that uh, that template of puck counter, cheap one-year deal, um, someone they think can give some energy uh, to the bottom end. And you kind of notice, too, is these guys that they that, that they seem to aim themselves towards. Um, it, it fits more of what kind of happened last offseason, where instead of going for um, the veteran-style uh, guys who've won before sort of deal, um, they're looking at that kind of m- mid um, or early late uh, 20s type player guys who still have some energy, still have some miles. Yeah, less Simmons uh, and Thornton, more 
you know, Obi yes, Kubel exactly. And, yeah, 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 your Obi Kubels, your your Reese's before the season, the season prior, your Kashas, your Buntings, mm-hmm. that sort of deal. Um, if anything, my my biggest surprise, I think, on the veteran front was the sweetheart deal that Giordano uh, gave them. I wasn't yeah. surprised to see him come back. I didn't think he'd go uh, two years at near minimum. Um, as far as like big shakeups go. Um, I think the the obvious elephant and perpetual question in the room uh, is the goaltending, and that's that. Like ev- everyone's opinion on that's almost going to change by by the hour, especially yeah. um, once these games get started and these guys start either stopping or not stopping pucks. <laughs> uh, I still have my uh, my curiosities on the Matt Murray deal as far as how much leverage they they had in it. Um, how much uh, salary they could have retained, or how much Sweden or they could have gotten in return. It doesn't feel. It's one of those the, those situations where getting the player doesn't really shock me. I mean, Suse Marie guy that like Kyle Dubas previously had big shocker. I know a uh, <laughs> guy who's had some upside who does kind of have that winning pedigree as well. Uh, so like all of those kind of boxes made sense. Um, it was just the amount that was spent slash not um, incentivized. Um, that I think threw a lot of people, uh, myself included, off um, that day. And then uh, I think that was offset a little bit by uh, getting Ilya Samsonov as well. Not a spectacular year last year in a lot of ways. Hasn't quite reached the expectations people had of him, but 25 years old, you still have some time to kind of figure him out. The fact that it's a one-year deal and it gives them that RFA status uh, both sets him up for a potential raise and makes sure that Toronto still has control of the player. So in those senses, you get those moves. You just kind of wonder a little bit about um, what those guys are going to give you and um, and how much it will even uh, matter based off of how uh, they performed even with goalie slumps last season. But uh, I know I just pretty much kind of ran down the list instead of giving a straightforward <laughs> answer there. I'm, it's clearly been a while for for me. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, outside of goaltending, it seemed like pretty much business as usual. That wasn't a surprise. And we'll see what happens between the pipes. It's, uh, it's a bit of a gamble, but uh, we'll see where it goes from. You, you mentioned, you know, a couple guys that left, and I think a few of them, you know, weren't really surprising, as you pointed out. Ilya Mikheyev uh, came from the KHL on a pretty good deal. He showed himself to be a capable NHL player, and someone gave him a raise, and that was how that was always going to go. Um, Jack Campbell came over from the Kings, uh, showed himself to be some kind of a starter. It was an up-and-down year. I'm not sure... I blame Kyle Dubas for not wanting to go five years on that like the Oilers did. The one guy I wanted to ask you about, and and I guess this will be just, you know, opinion as everything we're doing here is, what do you think happened with Andre Kasha? Because that guy had a, you know, when he was healthy, he played pretty well for the Leafs. And by all accounts, you know, he's good friends with David Kampf and enjoyed his time in Toronto. Um, but he left for Carolina for what I understand based on everything I've read is a pretty similar deal to what Toronto offered him. And as we sit here getting ready to start the season, it looks like he's going to start in, uh, on Carolina's fourth line. Um, things can change. He'll move up and down. He was also often playing in Toronto's bottom six, but did play in their tops. Why do you suppose he might've chosen Carolina over Toronto when by all accounts, the deals were reasonably similar? Um, to be honest, like I, I obviously in this case, I don't have like an inside sure. answer on that one. Uh, as far as mindset, I, I guess you can wonder a little bit if maybe he was just 
he was maybe a little put off from the fact that they didn't want to qualify him, give him his arbitration rights, yeah. and put himself in a position uh, to, t- to get a higher paycheck than uh, he did end up getting. Uh, it's a tough spot because, like, you can argue that what he could have got um, in in that process um, would be more so uh, would would have been higher than what what he ended up getting from Carolina or what Toronto offered him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the salary cap being where it is right now, um, it, it's really really tough for those kind of mid tier guys to get those deals. Um, I, I think at that point it just came down to. I uh, didn't feel uh, didn't feel that Toronto fully valued him, and uh, that was a good team that was offering him a deal. And I guess that's that's kind of where he went with it. Hmm. Uh, as we moved through training camp, did anything really jump out to you or, or stand out to you? Uh, you know, one of the guys that I would worry would be overstating it, but John Tavares this year, I would have hoped would have a and even a bounce back is an unfair thing to say. He's been pretty good. He was pretty good last year, point of game, but didn't always look like himself. But he was coming off an offseason where his head and his knee had both been blown up. And, you know, it was going to be a rough offseason of training for him. This year, by all accounts, he had a very good offseason of training. And then he comes back and he misses a lot of camp with that oblique injury. It looks like he will start the season by the sounds of everything we heard on Tuesday. Um, does it concern you at all that, you know, a guy like that who you, you really want to see come into things healthy and, and get a, f- a fresh shake at it, uh, would you be worried about the camp he had or, you know, is he going to be all right? Um, I mean, your concern's got to be greater than zero, obviously, just based on the fact that uh, you're, miss- you're missing a player for a good chunk of camp, uh, especially a guy you commit a lot of salary time to. Uh, a guy you want on the ice as much as possible. At the same time, we're talking training camp. Uh, it's a situation where you aren't going to push a player of that caliber two to play through those minutes. Uh, you know that uh, that if there's something that they're kind of 50-50 on, uh, something nagging them, it's probably better to, to give that opportunity to a player who might want to be pushing themselves into the lineup rather than someone whose spot is uh, pretty secure. Mm-hmm. Um we're, I guess we're going to have to see, though. The fact that he's ready, there looks like he's ready to play yeah. uh, for opening night uh, is is a good sign. I think you're going to see those first four or five games, you're going to kind of get a reflection of how serious um, this oblique injury really is, whether it's uh, just something that he's being precautious about uh, or something that's uh, it's a bit more severe. So I, I guess my, my long-winded answer is... Not not overly stressed, but it's more than it's more than nothing. Uh, anything out at camp? Anything else at camp? Jump out at you as I continue to uh, to stumble over my own tongue here in this episode. In terms of performance, I thought um, you know we always have to take everything that happens at camp with a grain of salt. It's level of competition. It's guys aren't fully ramped up yet. All these sorts of things. But Nick Robertson looked good. Dennis Mulgan early in camp, I thought, was making a you know a good impression, and he did finish strong again. But uh, I'm not totally sure what we're going to get out of him uh, in the long term. Did anybody really surprise you at camp? Um, I think Mulgan's the uh, the kind of the story for me, and I don't necessarily know if 
I don't know if su- surprise is the right term because I do think he's a better player than what we saw from the first yeah. time around. At the same time, there were times there when you were like, my God, this guy looks like he'd be a star if he just looked at like 45 <laughs> seconds of highlights. Sure. He, he was he was the argument um, for and against highlight packs uh, this uh, <laughs> this preseason. Yes. Um, but he, it, it gives you a sense of optimism there because – when we saw him the first time around, I think people, I think people kind of overstate how quote unquote bad he was when they, when they first acquired him, they look at the the box score and they see zero points and kind of leave it at that. But he was still, he was still hustling. He was, he, he, he was working for pucks, the kind of things that you, that you want out of a player um, that's playing in your, the, that, that can play a middle role or even a, a deeper role. I, I know you look at him and say, Oh, he's a smaller guy. He's not possible. It's not possible to put him bottom six, but I think it also it it, it almost misevaluates uh, what he's about. There, there, there is still a worker bee at the heart of uh, his game. Uh, for me, I thought the fact that he stayed in the in Switzerland um, with COVID going on and everything ended up being a blessing in disguise. It gave him an opportunity to play more offensive minutes, uh, power play time, that sort of deal. I get more confident uh, in his own play with the puck instead of having to constantly retrieve it. And we saw quite a bit of that um, in camp, whether or not that translates to him, uh, say, sticking in this on the second line full time, because I know he's currently slotted there with uh, Tavares and Nylander. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he sticks there is, uh, is definitely uh, up for debate. I'm not sitting here counting my chickens, uh, but the fact that he's looking like a useful player, I think is a really good thing. Uh, the reality is the, the trade that brought him in will never kind of that shadow will never really go away from right. him at the same time, just kind of got to let the player be the player. He's 25 years old. He's eager to, to show that he deserves his spot. Uh, and if he has a, and if he has a great year, that's uh, that should be a great thing for the Leafs. Um, you mentioned Robertson as well. That, 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 you, you you knew the talent was there last year when he was healthy. The biggest issue there is his health. I kind of feel bad that he has to start the season um, down with the Marlies uh, due to the whole salary cap situation. But it is really nice to see him affirm uh, that he's capable of playing at this level. It's not guaranteed that like, we can't be saying for sure he's going to be, say, as good as his brother. But that's the kind of camp that a lot of people want to see out of him. It's nice to see him deliver. Do you think, you know, one of the things we saw while they were negotiating with Rasmus Sandin was not just the money, but he was feeling a little blocked out by some of the other moves that they had made on the blue line. Uh, he'd also battled some injuries that, that held him out. And, you know, by all accounts, there was maybe a little bit of frustration in terms of what his minutes might look like. Have they possibly entered a situation here with Nick Robertson where he came in, had the camp they told him he had to have, and then yet, you know, due to the salary cap, he still finds himself in the minors. I do expect we'll see him up reasonably quick, especially if there's an injury. But do you run into the possibility that you're you're building a little bit of ill will with this player um, based on how this has gone? Or is that just, are those just the breaks in pro hockey? Like, uh, the the in case of a tie, it's always going to go to the guy who's not waiver exempt. 
Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, from what we know, Robertson, he's a very confident slash uh, eager guy who wants to prove himself that he's capable of playing at a higher level. So if I'm if I'm him, uh, I'm probably feeling a little miffed about it. And honestly, like that's not a terrible mindset to have as no. long as you channel it correctly. Yep. Uh, you want um, to be to be in a position where you feel. Uh, that you can prove something more and that you feel capable of uh, doing all these sorts of things. Uh, at the same time, as you mentioned, the, the waiver status is a huge uh, issue, especially uh, especially in the, the league as it is right now. It's a it's really it's a it's a tough situation for for guys on the bubble or even in the mid tier uh, at the moment because so many teams can't field a full 23 man roster right now. Like Toronto's kind of getting singled out for it because of the, the fear of Tavares in play that would uh, make it 19 plus it's Toronto. So we're going to talk about it no matter what. Sure. Uh, but I think when I looked at it this afternoon, it was like 17 of the, of the 32 teams in the league are going to use 22 or fewer or have 22 or fewer uh, roster players. The limit is obviously 23. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to start the season at least one man less uh, with uh, five teams, including um, including Florida, Boston, uh, Tampa. Uh, so pretty much the, the the other contenders in the Atlantic division are also in that, in that 20 spot. So, the the thing with Robertson is, yeah, he he does have reason to to be upset. He had the camp that he needed to, and he wants to prove that he's an NHL player. But it's also not a totally unique spot in this league. There's a lot of good players right now who are not getting the opportunity to be uh, up with their big with the big club right now, or are are on the free agent list, still waiting for an opportunity to be with a team. Uh, to begin with, uh, because of how tight uh, these past couple of years uh, have been with the pandemic and the uh, pause of the cap and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the best thing Robertson can do with it, though, is channel it into positive energy, uh, give it all on the ice, continue to prove that he's uh, he's got to be the first guy when he comes up. Um, I think he's he sh- at least should know that he's a player that the team values and sees as a key part of their future. Uh, even if the presence right now is complicated by reasons out of really anyone's control. I got to be careful here because I don't want to keep you all night by talking about people who didn't make the Leafs. But just one more on Nick Robertson. Is he, I sort of felt a lot of the time as we moved through camp, like even if the cap wasn't going to be the problem, the fit is hard here for him right now because Obviously, he showed through training camp he probably deserved a spot and was contributing offensively, but you're not going to break up that Matthews-Marner bunting line right now. He's not a fourth-line guy. He's not really a checking guy, and he's not great on Tavares's wing because if there's a weakness in his game, it's his skating, and that's the same weakness that's in Tavares's game. And it, it to get the most out of John Tavares that you can right now, you sort of need a worker B with a little speed, like whether it's going to be Kerfoot, whether it's going to be Mulligan, we'll see. Um, but it, it sort of puts him in a weird spot where, yeah, you have the right skills and maybe on another team, you know, the lineup construction would be such that we could fit you in a little easier. Am I reading too much into that? Or is there a certain amount of, and again, I'm not saying they need to trade him. He's never going to be an NHL or, but just his skill set and the things he does well and doesn't do well right now are a tough fit for the way this particular lineup is built. 
I don't think you're completely far off. Uh, I don't know if I would fully agree at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at a line like that second line, there's still there, there's still a way to make that fit work because you look at a guy like Tavares, and yeah, he doesn't have the foot speed. Uh, what you get out of that line, though, is you get hockey IQ, you get mm-hmm. the positional awareness, the know, kind of knowing where the opportunities are. And if anything, it gives... Uh, when you have someone like Robertson who also knows to kind of get to that net front area and has the, the shot that he does, it almost gives the ability for someone like Tavares to kind of be a bit of a decoy. I think if you were to have him make the roster, uh, you can utilize the the Nylander, uh Tavares line in a little bit of a different form than you would po- probably have it now uh, to get better usage out of uh, skill sets of someone like Robertson. I think that's the advantage you have when you have so many uh, skilled high-end players is the fact that you don't have to sit them down and say you're going to play a very specific role and they're basically going to have you on train tracks or whatever. Um, <laughs> you, you you can kind of you, you can kind of adapt it a a little bit. So I think as far as how that line is traditionally uh, traditionally kind of played, that kind of cycle game that brings Tavares to the net front. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a tough sell to have someone like Robertson who doesn't quite have um, the skating ability under him just yet uh, to really fly with that group. But there are ways that they could make it work if they get into that situation. Um, when uh, that will happen, we're going to have to see. And obviously, uh, the, the role changes a fair bit if he has to play. I am in the bottom six of the way that they have them utilizing third line, probably be a little bit easier than the fourth, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, again, I kind of agree and disagree. I think there's, I think there's ways to make it work, but I can also see where you're coming from. Uh, let's move through this, uh, this team positionally right now. We'll start where everybody's talking about with the goaltending. I think, you know, as you look at this, there is reason for concern. There is also reason to believe it, it might be fine. Um, I totally understand why people aren't putting their money on fine. I might not put my money on fine, but I do sort of feel like if they're both healthy throughout the season, and obviously that's a bigger concern for Murray than than it probably is for Samsonov, that it might be okay. The Leafs are one of those teams that don't get enough credit for the way the team plays defense. Uh, they just need a goalie who's okay, who's fine. And for big parts of last season, they didn't get it. And they still, you know, put up a lot of points. Um what do you think of this goaltending group? And do you feel like if Matt Murray stays healthy, uh, you know, he could he could still get them enough for what they need? I mean, anything's possible. And I think that's kind of the reality <laughs> uh, at the at this tier of goaltending. Uh, those who those who follow my work uh, know that I am of the opinion that there are maybe seven goalies in the entire NHL who matter uh, in the sense that you can predict uh you, that, that, that you can predict them to have strong years year in, year out. And it's funny that like, people won't say it that way, but then you go, you look at the Sportsnet Insiders predictions today and every Vesna pick was one of those seven yeah, guys. Yeah. You look at... Um, so just for people that, uh, who maybe aren't super familiar with their work, hit, hit us with those seven. Okay, so the new group of seven, the Tendies group of seven, um, painting isn't as good, but they can they they, they, they can mine the net. Um Ilya Shosturkin, uh, Andre Vasilevsky, um, UC Saros, and not necessarily in order here. No, no. Ilya Sorokin, uh, Connor Hellebuck, um, 
Did you have Markstrom in there? Uh, uh, Thatcher Demko, and then I, I waited till the end to put Jakob Markstrom because that's Fair the enough. one I sometimes go back and forth on, and more people are kind of um, kind of iffy on. But I think the last three four years have been enough to sure. solidify him in that spot for me, even if he's the seven of the seven. So those are the guys that year in year out, you know, you're gonna get. It's safe uh, to pay something. them. <laughs> exactly that the, the and somewhat safe to give them term though i don't believe in giving goalies term right. uh this is a general philosophy uh very that's a very brian burkean thing that i've taken <laughs> over the years uh you don't give uh you don't give your best goalies more than five years you don't give uh you don't give your medium goalies more than three years and ideally you just try to go year to year yeah. anyway this kind of goes to the um to, so what I was saying before was even even Andre Vasilevsky, there was an interview with him in uh, 32 Thoughts podcast that came out earlier uh, this week uh, where he talks about what he thinks separates the, the good from the great and its consistency being able to do it uh, year in, year out. Mm-hmm. After the after that tier of those six, seven, eight, whatever you want to call it, guys, I think we can all agree that there's some sort of tier there. It's re- really, it. I hate to say it's a crapshoot, but... Uh, but basically everyone in that conversation of is an NHL goaltender has found a way in recent years to wildly fluctuate between looking like they can have a fringe Vesna moment or looking like they should be in uh, like the SPHL or in the A-level <laughs> of your local beer league kind of deal. Right. Um, I mean, we saw it with Jack Campbell last year. Mm-hmm. Come Christmas time, uh, there was serious talk of him being in the Vesna Trophy conversation. And then after, I think, like January 3rd or 4th or something along those lines, that was the last time Toronto had a rolling 25 uh, game save percentage above 900. Um, They were, I think, bottom three or four in the league in save percentage after New Year's, um, which is kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but calendar year, whatever, we'll kind of go with it. Point Point being, they were not getting pucks stopped for basically the entire second half of the season. And to their credit in that time, and this is where you can kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with Toronto's uh, situation right now is in that time where they were not getting goaltending, where they were getting bottom of the barrel uh, pucks being stopped. They had a 702 record uh, for the rest of calendar year 2022. Um, that's the, the that's not nothing. No. And it's a team that has strong finishing talents, a team that does not get enough credit uh, for the team defense that they play, both the blue line and their and their transition game, and how they how they're able to keep pucks in front, win puck battles, uh, so a dump and chase doesn't turn into a punt, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, it's it's a big deal. They 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 they're very good at limiting shots and chances uh, in ways that they weren't a few years ago. Even if people still kind of keep that perception. That's just a lagging perception. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the bar that Murray and Samson and Samsonov, or well, if they get hurt, if it's Shelgren or whoever needs to clear is not extremely high. They don't need one of these guys to put up a 925 and 55 games or whatever and be a serious threat uh, for the Vesna Trophy. They just need them to be okay. Mm-hmm. They need... Barely, probably not even exactly league average shape percentage out of them. Uh, ideally, in the playoffs, you'd like one of them to heat up for obvious reasons, sure. but just to kind of keep themselves competitive throughout the season, they just need they just need okay. Uh, and we've seen Murray be more than okay in times in the past, uh, and even last year, super unhealthy, did have a le- above league average shape percentage. Ilya Samsonov, not to the level that we want 
a goalie like him to be. Still, still not great. Like his numbers weren't fantastic, but they were they weren't dissimilar from what Campbell was putting up in the second half. Uh, you have, and, and I'm not saying that comparing the two second halves. I'm saying his full season compared to Campbell's second half. Mm-hmm. I think in the second halves, uh, Samsonovs were better. Um, so you're not looking for a lot here. You're looking for hoping for one of these two guys to grasp an opportunity and just be pretty good. Um, and that's, uh, that, that, that's a reasonable, uh, bar for Toronto to, to live on right now. They don't need to, they're not, they're not live or die with their, their goaltending unless something drastically goes wrong, uh, with the, with their shooting, which is a whole different question altogether. I think I unfairly sidetrack you there. One of the points I think you were probably going to get to with your, your league of seven, uh, top end goalies is beyond that. You shouldn't pay them. And the Leafs are paying Matt Murray. And you referenced a little while ago the what leverage Ottawa might have had in that trade. They were getting ready to, um, you know, basically just punt him into Buffalo, and he said no, uh, based on a, a, a no trade clause that he had. And the Leafs, instead of paying that guy even at fifty percent, like if you're not getting one of those top seven or eight guys in the league, you shouldn't spend money on it. And I guess the trade off would be. You know, we didn't give Campbell five years. Uh, we were going to take Matt Murray for slightly less, but for two years. He just, it feels like they're doing, and again, this is an incredibly disrespectful way of putting it, but they're doing the dumpster dive, but not at dumpster dive p- prices is sort of the, the concern that I have, at least with this tandem. And I'm sure I'm not alone on that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that's unfair. Like I said, uh, you would have hoped with Murray that you'd either get a significant asset back, whether it's a prospect or a higher round pick, yeah. uh, as you as your sweetener at this price, or you get him at the full fifty percent. Um, it's really, uh, the most valuable part of the of a trade retention isn't so much the percentage; it's the the fact that you only have three slots to do it. So at that point. You would hope that you'd be able to find some sort of way to get that retention. I like, I, even if it meant throwing in an extra like six round pick or whatever, I mm-hmm. think that would have been uh, that would have been worthwhile to their sakes. Now, obviously, they got the balance sheets mostly done um, at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Though uh, getting fifty instead of twenty five could have made something like the Robertson conversation mm-hmm. a different one. It could have been okay. It's a safe twenty one skaters. It might be a big deal uh, at the deadline, right? Twenty into Wednesday, yeah. something like a deadline deal. Yeah. Uh, though I don't think they're in as bad of a position there that they can layer some roster players if they have to. Yeah. Uh, but in the immediate term, it could have made a pretty decent difference. Um, and if nothing else, it could have saved. Thousands of hockey Twitter arguments <laughs> over the past few months. Um, so it, it, it's just one of the things that, yeah, you would you don't mind the general the general concept behind it, and it's not something that I think is going to be like a legacy defining move or anything. But you do you you do feel that they could have done better there. They were almost kind of caught in a spot where people were aware of what they wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the gift and the curse of this market. Everything's everything's kind of telegraphed, and that can uh, create problems when negotiating. But at the same time, those are the cards you're dealt, and you have to try to find the best hand with it. And I'm not 100% sure they did. End of the day, we'll see where these goalies go. Could You could honestly get anything out of them. If you told me they were going to be an 80-80 at the mm-hmm. end of the year, I'd believe you. And if you told me one of them got a couple of dozen trophy votes, I'd say fair enough. Um so we'll see. 
let's get off the, uh, you know, what is clearly the biggest question mark and the, the most negative part of the team discussion right now and into some areas where, you know, obviously people are feeling a lot more optimistic and, and rightfully so. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the blue line and how maybe they don't get the respect they deserve. There's a bit of a lagging perception because for years and years, Toronto's blue line was terrible and it was a fair thing to say about the team. It really isn't anymore. And whether that's personnel, whether it's system, you know, we can get into those sorts of discussions, but they've defended reasonably well over the last, you know, basically since Sheldon Keefe has taken over. Um, this group right now looks a little funky. I think we were probably looking for Liljegren to be a factor and maybe even play with Morgan Riley. He's out to start the season. And so, you know, we've looked at a couple of different guys playing their offside. Justin Hall's got a another lease on life. We'll see, you know, when they do eventually have to clear some cap space, if they ever do, um, you know, if, if he's the guy to go. Uh, just, you know, initial thoughts on this blue line as it's shaken out and, and sort of what you expect out of this group. I mean, to be honest, the layout's pretty much what I expected it to be. Hmm. Um, the biggest difference, uh, as you mentioned, is Lilia Grin starting the, the season injured and Sanding taking his place. But I think the, what the pairs are makes sense to me. I mean, we've seen Riley and Brody have success together. We've seen Muzzin and Hall have su- uh, success together, and that one's going to be... Uh, That's pretty what I'm interesting looking at, to me, yeah. Because <laughs> um, uh, for me, when I look at last year, I don't even like a lot of people point to Hall as the problem in the b- between those two, but I think it's Muzzin's health yeah. and how he's responded, even when playing through. Uh, injury that's been a bigger um, lagging issue for totally them. Totally agree. Uh, with Hall, you generally know what you get. Sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit of a collar tug on the risk reward, but uh, <laughs> but it usually comes out positive in the end. And of course, he's an extremely strong penalty killer too, and uh, that's not nothing. Nope. Um, and if they have a mostly healthy Muzzin, uh, that's a huge knock on wood. Uh, that should be uh, th- that should be a pretty fine second pair. For the time being, they don't have to be relied on to be the top shutdown guys like they were a couple years ago. Um, then you go down to that third pair. Giordano's still like he's still a really good player. Um, I think we saw that after the deadline that for whatever reason, what didn't work in Seattle was a bit of an aberration. Uh, what we saw uh, with the Leafs was a lot closer to the end of Calgary Giordano, who was still a quality player, just not someone who fit in in terms of the the cap perspective come the expansion drafts. Yeah. And obviously when you're getting him at league minimum, that's you're, you're, you're laughing. Um, him and Liljegren had fantastic success uh, together. And that's in that the late season stretch. And I, I think the world of what, what Timothy's done uh, to grow his game in the past year, but Sandin's still a decent player too. It's, it's nice that that contract situation um, was able to settle itself with, uh, with with the injuries in that preseason game, kind of tipping him over the edge. I guess he saw um, Kerfoot uh, and uh, Yard Croc looking like legitimate, <laughs> capable uh, guys, which is a um, little bit of a dead cat bouncing. Generally, when you take a guy and you move him to um, his opposite position, uh, basically, um, he's going to be okay because he's just going to, he, he's going to stick to whatever the system is in fear of breaking away from it. It's yeah. when they get co- uh, comfortable that it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, obviously that that night worked out pretty well for Toronto in the end, in the, fa- in the sense that they got um, their their six seven back, and he's another guy with a fair bit of upside. So I I think it's uh, I I still think it's a decent group. You look at them and it's like 
on paper, just lineup for lineup, I think it's one of the strongest blue lines they've had in my lifetime, honestly. Um, the the fact that all three pairs can go up against uh, quality, maybe not top, top, top competition, but they you're not going to be like, you're not, you, there's no one you're trying to hide. Right. Um, there are guys you prefer to have out there more than others, but there's no one you're trying to hide. And that's not something you've been able to say for most Leaf teams in the last couple generations, let alone years. So it's a, it's a good luxury to have. And the sooner people realize that just because Toronto doesn't have a Norris finalist caliber defenseman uh, doesn't mean they don't have a luxurious defense the better. It's not the absolute best in the league. No one's comparing it to Colorado or whatever, but it's a pretty good blue line, and it's a big part of their success at this point. It's funny when you talk about Giordano, and you've referenced it twice, getting a guy like that on basically league minimum. By all accounts, when they re-signed him, I guess, you know, they basically had a deal done at about a million dollars a year, and he's the one who circled back and said, you know what? 150 grand less a year. And it must be nice to have made that kind of money in your life to, to have $150,000 a year, really not be a, a big deal to you. And it, it's just kind of funny to go, ah, if I'm taking a million, I might as well take 850. Yeah, exactly. The Benz <laughs> is a rounding error. Yeah, exactly. Um, as far as Sandine goes, uh, you followed the Marlies closer than I have. How much experience does he have on the right side? Are you concerned about what that's going to look like? I don't imagine that's a long-term solution, although maybe it is if they end up trading Hall at some point uh, and Lilligren comes back in and he stays on the right side. What do you think that's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of it. I do remember some stretches where they played him with guys like Kelly Rosen, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, two lefties, you kind of have to bounce that around, but I feel like Rosen took more of the righty shifts uh, in that respect. Um it's interesting with a guy like him because he, he, I don't want to say he gets more credit for his defense than he should because he's still he's still a young player and he yeah. might grow into that perception. But he's not as defensively minded as he's treated. It's almost like the perceptions of him and Lilia Grin are, are are in reverse. They see a strong first pass on Lilia Grin and think he's he his role the puck mover, and you see. Sandine throw big hits and you think he's the uh yeah, no. the stay the stay at home <laughs> kind of guy. Whereas Riz, yeah, like Raz likes to explore. Um he likes trying to quarterback a power play. Um he he's he is more of that distributor type. So in a sense, kind of have having to put him in a situation where he needs to simplify his game a little bit um and rely more on structure might not be the worst thing for him. We're talking about a 22-year-old who's still got a couple of years left uh, before he really starts to hit that prime age. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he's going to be playing the toughs on the right side. I think when you get to those sort of situations, they're going to be a little bit more creative with the pairs. So am I sitting here going, yeah, I'd love to have him on that side? No, I mean, obviously not. That's not the situation you want. And truthfully, I think in a totally healthy lineup, he's the seven. But at the same time, it's a good experience for him and there's enough of a personnel around him that they can kind of, that they can kind of take that and uh, allow it to happen and see what he learns from it. Let's move up front. Cause that's what, uh, you know, that's where all the money is being paid out and that's what we're all looking forward to seeing. I, I got to tell you, when I look at this lineup, I don't think I expected to feel this way coming out of camp this year. This feels to me a little deeper than it did um, 
you know, even last year, because last year it was sort of that that David Kampf line, no matter who was on it, even if it was Ingval and Kasha, who didn't really get enough respect in terms of some of the offense they were capable of creating, you were going to get buried in the defensive zone. And that, that David Kampf line had a very specific uh, use case, especially, you know, just knowing what he specifically brought to the table. And it felt like that was a bit high. Line three was a bit much for that because your line four also wasn't giving you much through big parts of last year. Wayne Simmons was sort of coming to the end of what he was going to be. Jason Spezza, um, God love him. There was moments he created beautiful things, but he was sort of running out of gas too. And they never really had a permanent, uh, you know, third member of that line. They rotated through a lot. And now it sort of looks like the way this shakes loose, if it's going to be Mulgan with Tavares and Nylander, you have a third line of uh, Kerfoot, Yarncroak, and... Uh, oh, who am I missing here? Um, oh, no. Where'd my my notes go? <laughs> um, <laughs> the fourth line is going to be Zach Aston reese with Kampf and, uh, and Nick Obey-Kubel. Um, yeah. You know, it... it to me, that that feels deeper. That third line, even though it's going to be you know pretty responsible, also feels like it could put up something. And now that conf line is your fourth line. And to me, that feels more like how I'd want this to shake loose. Do you feel like this is a deeper group or just simply a different group? I, I get where you're coming from. Deeper might not be the right word to sure. use for it. I think the way to say it is it's more purposeful. More utilitarian, yeah. <laughs> S- sure, that could work too. Uh, you, you, it, it's just you kind of look at those lines now and you, you know what they're they're about. I mean, God love the guys that were rotating through that fourth line last year mm-hmm. um, and uh, haven't even really been out with, without Jason Spezza yet, and I already miss him. But same time, it's. It's like that line wasn't that, that Ingvall. line was Ingvall's gonna play with Kerfoot and Yarncroak. That's my guy. That's who I was missing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> All good. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just like that. That line was just kind of here's the collection of forwards we have left. See what they they kind of do. Whereas now, Camp's line kind of feels like what it was before. Maybe a little bit less premium on what's on the wings, but the assignments also a little bit different to mm-hmm. the minute deployments. A bit different, and you have um, more capable kind of. Not quite offensive, not quite defense, not quite shut down. Kind of like can do a little bit of everything. We yeah. can decide what their their roles as you go third line um, of players that are capable of playing uh, up and down the lineup. Like I, I don't think, and I've said this before, I don't think Alex Kerfoot gets enough credit uh, for how many different ways you yeah. can slot him. You can have him at center. You can have him at wing. You can have him second line, third line. Apparently, second pair defense. Um, <laughs> It, 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 the possibilities are endless. In fact, sure. you can even take a photo of him and tell someone it's Ron Hazy or David Clarkson, <laughs> and they probably believe you. The, the, he's just he's just the the ultimate utilitarian guy. Um, but no, I, I I think you I think you look at that bottom six, and it seems to to have more in an identity and a purpose, which are kind of buzzwords, but it's true. You need them to have some sort of role and objective every time. Uh, they go out there um, to 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 keep a consistent pace of play to keep teams on their toes, um, so that they they don't feel that they're they're going to win the next puck battle, or they don't feel that they can take a shift off. Uh, you need something to make um, to make to give that feeling of coming in waves. That was a big thing with Colorado last year. You heard about it from every team. It just 
felt like they never stopped. Even when superstars were in on the ice, it didn't feel like you could take a breath. And I think you kind of get that here. You get that really fast um, two-way thinking third line. You get a, you get a fourth line that's just full tenacity, um, is capable of hunting pucks like no one's business, is willing to throw the body around. The only issue of the fourth line, like I said on Twitter, is if you have if you have Czar and you have Knack, instead of David Kampf, they really should have Austin Czarnik so you can go Czarnik, <laughs> Czarnik. Um, but um, that's, the, 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 that's it. That's it. I mean, it's there, there's a purpose to, to this bottom six now, and I do think that there's a benefit to that. So I see where you're coming from. I don't know if it's got the the pedigree of last year's group in terms of like individual reputations but sure um instead of uh, they didn't replace the, cards, the whole feels the whole feels more more purposeful yeah everybody's got a purpose here everybody the uh, none of those guys on that fourth line would you be disappointed to see if they were on your pk whereas you didn't want spezza you didn't want simmons really killing penalties right, right? like they, everybody's got a job now uh, let's talk about the top six and i want one of the things i wondered early on in camp and they always tell you, you know, don't read too much into it. Sheldon Keefe himself said, don't read too much into this. But early on, before Tavares got hurt, we were seeing Marner with Tavares. And I I think, you know, obviously they're showing you some looks. They're looking at some things. Uh, I think their, their number one option, what they want to do is leave Marner, Matthews, and, uh, and Bunting together. But last year we did see that Tavares and Nylander struggled a bit together at times, and I wondered if this was a chance to just see what's what does Marner back with Tavares look like, and we sort of lost that when he got hurt. Do you think they were seriously considering maybe swapping the two, Willie goes back with Austin, or was it just a training camp thing that you just do sometimes? I don't know if seriously swap is the, the answer I would give, uh, especially when you... Like you got to look at the results of what that first line did last year. They yeah. dominated in pretty much every sense of the word, not just in how how many goals they produced, but um, just how the the share of the shots that they had, the quality of the shots that they had. They were pretty objectively, if not the best line in the league, very very close. It's mm-hmm. hard to it's hard to break that up. At the same time, you want to kind of have variety in your matchups. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing, and I think more teams should consider this as having. Uh, that ability to flex lines depending on situations uh, in in games. Obviously, it's hard to manage a bench or a, a bench like that or whatever. But um, if you have those big those big four guys, um, you know Neilander, Tavares, uh, Marner, and Mulligan. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and Matthews. Um, <laughs> if you have those four guys kind of in a position where they're they they know how to play with each other at all times, and that they have set assignments for when when they're when they're not breaking through teams i think that's a good thing because there are, yeah there are obviously advantages um to to tavera's nylander uh to tavera's nylander to matthew's nylander to tavera's marner to matthew's marner they all kind of have different styles mm-hmm. of play when they're paired up with each other uh or even tavera's matthew's when they really wanted to load things up um so having those things at your disposal is good I, I I do think teams need to experiment more with that. There, I mean, we've seen the the talk of even Marner playing some uh, some late game uh, blue line shifts uh, in in situations where they're trailing. Yep. Um, I think that kind of experimentation is great. Having multiple power play schemes, which I don't think is something they've really talked about yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them or another top team 
uh, show some variety in that respect either. It's good to have the, the, those options, uh, especially when you have like there. What's the point of having four star superstar forwards uh, if you can't if you can't tinker around with them a little? Right. Uh, a couple quick hitters before we get you out of here. All of these questions uh, assume everyone has played a healthy eighty-two games. Austin Matthews, sixty point five goals over under. Over. Uh, I mean, you, you, you've seen the way that, that goals have been increasing uh, in the league the past couple of years. I know these are supposed to be quick hitters, but I'm just going to try to sure. try to get, get, get to this uh, point quick. I, I think teams are becoming more aware of uh, where the right places are to score. I think you, you see his positional awareness is second to none. He's got one of the best shot arsenals in the league, um, very quickly becoming the best five-on-five goal scorer. Um, not just of our generation, but among the best ever. It's hard to bet against him while while superstars in general are seeing their production up. So uh, another 60-goal season is definitely not out of the question. Mitch Marner, 99.5 points. Does he finally hit that 100-point mark? I mean, there's no reason he can't if uh, if, if he's playing a full season. Uh, same, same reason, so I'll say yeah. John Tavares, 75.5 points. <sighs> Hmm. That's tough. We're going to have to see how these first, uh, first few games. I'm a little worried. I was less worried about his camp as I was them rushing him back. If he, if they said three weeks, now it's been two weeks and we're saying good to go. You need that guy. I might've just given him the extra week. Yeah, I hear you. My heart always says says over. He's one of my all time favorite players has been since before he was in Toronto. I can see the over that I can see the under happening too. I think to have a realistic set in stone take on this, I would need a couple of weeks to see where this injury really is. I'm not going to give it to you. So uh, you're going to have to live with the, the prediction for today. And William Nylander, 35.5 goals this year. I'm going to go under just because I think, because I think someone's going to get hit with some bad puck luck, but yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if he's, uh, if he, if he has another point of game or above season. Uh, and the team in general last year set a franchise record with 115 points. A lot of things went well. The playoffs were not one of those things, so we'll leave the playoffs out of this for now. We have no idea who they're going to face, what everything's going to look like, who's going to be healthy, how it's going, but regular season is this year's team 110.5 points over or under. Well, the bad news, Matt, is I'm now working in the uh, the betting scene, um, <laughs> so I do know what the what the line is right now. What and, they uh, set it at? It's it's not that high. I think it's like 104.5. Yeah, okay. So I'm just gonna go the under because yep. you're not working well with the uh, <laughs> with the Vegas odds. I, I I feel like the bookies might know a little bit of something here. It's true. Um, yeah, I think I think the only team that's as high as you put the least there is Colorado. Right. I think they're at like one eleven point five or something like that. So I'm gonna go the under just because uh, this is my somewhat workspace now, and <laughs> I gotta trust uh, our beloved bookies. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, you know what, Jeff? I, I always appreciate you making the time as we uh, we do these preview shows every year for uh, for the Leafs and Sens as we kind of. You know, lots of pods go through and and power to them and to the entire league. Uh, We just decide to serve our two largest audiences and the people who react most strongly to to this show. So I always appreciate you and Graham making the time every year. But uh, hit us again with uh, where people can find your work right now and, and, you know, where they can follow you. 
Uh, you can uh, find my work uh, either through through Twitter. My uh, my username is my full name, Jeff Vayette, J-E-F-F-V-E as in Victor, E-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. Uh, if you want to read my writing, you can find it at uh, canadasportsbetting.ca uh, um, or in other spots of the Better Collective Network. We're going to see how that goes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And then besides that... Um, I don't know. The rest of my work is kind of private right now. I guess yeah. tune into a Toronto Patriots game on Hockey TV or come to Westwood Arena and uh, and see see my guys play. But uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a pleasure to be on. We'll share those links uh, in the show notes at talkinaudio.com or uh, wherever you're hearing us right now in your podcast app. They will be there. Thank you so much, Jeff. Always appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much. It's always a blast. We'll wind this one down here. Don't forget, Graham Nichols will be here on Thursday morning to tee up the Sen side of things. Michaela Schreider will be here Friday morning. That podcast coming to you from the Need a Beer Company. It's going to be a good, uh, good short week. What short week isn't good? Uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. For Jeff Viet, my name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. I am unhappy with the confusing and at times confrontational nature of that meeting. I wanted it to go better. I wanted it to go better.